0: We are glad to be worshiping together today. For those who don't know me, I'm Becky Pritchard, one of the associate pastors on staff, and we are looking at verses 14 and 15 of Mark today. So I invite you to keep your your Bibles open, um, and we'll be looking at this text together. Uh, For those worshiping with us online, hi, Mom. Glad you're here with us. We really want you to be a part of our worship together. Even if you're sitting in front of your computer, this is um, an opportunity to open your Bible and look deeply at what God has for us today. So as we begin, let us start with a word of prayer. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So just as Carl said a moment ago, we're continuing in our study of the Gospel of Mark. Today we pick up these two verses right after Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. Last week, we looked closely at the temptation story of how Jesus was confronted with temptation and he resisted, being the pure and perfect representative for us to live a perfect life on our behalf. And before that, a few weeks ago, we looked at Jesus's baptism. Jesus went from the waters of baptism into the wilderness of temptation, only proving that Jesus Christ is the true son of God, perfect and pure, but fully human and fully divine, connected to the Father and the Spirit as part of the Holy Trinity. So today we pick up in chapter one, verses 14 and 15, and Mark gives us a quick time reference to sort of center us. What are we doing next? What's happening now? Transitioning from the ministry of John the Baptist to the beginning of Jesus's public ministry. So Mark notes, look at verse 14, that after John was arrested, After John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. We know that John the Baptist was preaching about the coming of the greater one, preaching a preparation ministry, anticipating the coming one. And now the greater one, Jesus Christ, is here. So John the Baptist was arrested or handed over to the authorities. And we don't really hear more about that until chapter six of Mark. But one quick interesting thing to note about the word usage here is that the, the word that Mark uses to describe John the Baptist's arrest is the Greek word meaning handed over. It implies not only an arrest, but an eventual death. And it's the exact same word that is used down the road when Jesus himself is handed over before his own death. Spoiler alert, John the Baptist not only foreshadows Jesus's ministry on earth, but also his arrest and death. Both offended the powers that be by their prophetic teachings. Both um, died violent deaths, which we will hear more about later on. So there's significant connection here and we're seeing a transition. Mark's using John's arrest as a transition moment for Jesus' ministry to begin. I can't help but think of the events of our past week. This past week on Wednesday, we um, celebrated the inauguration. I'm not getting political here, but every four years, no matter what, there is an inauguration. Whether it's a second term of a, a current president or a new president coming into office, it's a significant event that marks a transition of time. As one season is ending, a new is beginning. It marks that transition, a ceremony. One of my friends lives in DC. She's gone to almost all of them as all the years she's been there. A transition of time and we need these markers of transition. So that's what Mark is doing here. John the Baptist has been arrested and entered Jesus. Another season beginning. So Jesus comes into Galilee and remember that Galilee is where his hometown of Nazareth is located. This is a place where Gentiles are starting to be a part of the culture. So we have Jewish tradition intersecting with the Gentile Gentile culture. It's a fertile ground for the good news of Jesus Christ. He came proclaiming the gospel of God, gospel meaning good news. He is making a public announcement. Attention, Jesus is about to speak. It's time to listen up. So remember, this good news, this gospel, this was prophesied by all of the prophets, specifically in Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings the good news, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The prophets, John the Baptist, had all been preparing the way. The Jewish people were ready. They were anticipating this announcement. They'd heard about it for years, waiting for the good news to come. And here it is. This wasn't the kind of announcement that you hear while you're running through the airport to catch your flight, and you're not really listening because it doesn't really apply to you and it's kind of muffled and you're distracted and you're running. This is the announcement where you literally stop in your tracks and you listen. This is what they were talking about. It's flight 527. This is the one I need to know about. Pay attention. This is the announcement that they've been waiting for. This announcement was huge. So, What is this good news? What is this gospel of God that Jesus is proclaiming? And look at verse 15. We're gonna go take it piece by piece and see what Jesus says here. He starts with saying, the time is fulfilled. This is what we've been waiting for and the time is now. He marks this moment as a distinguished moment in times. It's an appointed time that God has promised. It's the time that Galatians 4.4 describes as the fullness of time. It's what Amos 9 describes as the arrival of a new kingdom. It's what Jeremiah 31 describes as the arrival of a new covenant, a change. Something critical is happening and the moment has come. The God of the Israelites who promised redemption and restoration in the future is acting now in a new and decisive way through Jesus Christ. And Jesus is ushering in this message of the gospel of God. The time is fulfilled But let's remember that God's time and our time are very different. For us, it's past, present, future. It happened, it's happening, or it's going to happen. We're linear thinkers, that's how our minds work, that's how we know how to live through time. But for God, God's timing is eternal and eternity is limitless, right? We don't, it's not as linear as our minds think. Eternity is forever and ever and ever and ever. So here, Jesus says the time is fulfilled. It doesn't mean that things are over. It doesn't mean that it marks the end of something. It also doesn't mean that it's just now beginning, but it means in eternity and history are converging in this moment. The history of God's promises to his people, the Israelites, the now of Jesus Christ in the moment, and the future of the hope we have for the promise of God. Commentator David McKenna says it like this, the appearance of Jesus echoes the timelessness of eternity, vibrates with the continuity of history and peaks with the finality of judgment. I love the way that he words that. Timelessness of eternity vibrates with the continuity of history and peaks with the finality of judgment. Time is very different than the way that we're able to fully understand it. The time is fulfilled. Historical because of what God has done, eternal because of what God promises forever, now because Jesus is here, and in the future because Jesus will come again. It's not only a present reality, but a future hope. The time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. What is the kingdom of God? And what does it mean that it's at hand? You could spend the rest of your life researching the kingdom of God. The amount of books that are written about it, the amount of theories about what it truly means and what it truly is. It's a little bit of a complex topic. Again, just the time of it all is complex. But one of my favorite theologians, Dallas Willard, writes a book called The Divine Conspiracy. And he describes the kingdom of God in this way. He says, God's own kingdom or rule is the range of his effective will where what he wants done is done. The range of his effective will. The kingdom of God is God's reign, his rule, his presence and power and peace and it is near. It's not a separate place, somewhere we have to go. It's Jesus proclaiming God's kingdom at the start of his ministry, right out of the gate. God's kingdom is among us. It's accessible now. And although we continue to wait for the completion of God's kingdom when Christ returns, we are living in the now of the kingdom on this earth because of Christ. We celebrated at Christmas the arrival of a baby into this world, prophesied by Isaiah. Isaiah 9, remember this passage. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. What's on his shoulders? The government shall be on his shoulders. uh, um, Their peace there will be no end. To establish the kingdom and uphold it with justice and righteousness. Jesus is that king that was foretold. The king that moved into the neighborhood with us. And now he's publicly proclaiming God's kingdom on this earth. Take a moment to look at who's doing the action in this passage. This is God's initiative. God came into the world in the form of man. God invades history and moves to secure our redemption. Jesus's life and ministry is the decisive event in the redemptive plan of God. His life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. And the action is all God's. We don't have anything to do with it. God is in power. And this is life changing action. Life changing for us that we as people get to receive this gift. Okay, so Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. God's reign and rule are here. It's near. But what we we need to remember about being in this now, but not yet, this in-between time, you've heard Mitchell and Bob refer to this time of, it's here, but we're waiting still, is that there are still other kingdoms at hand. Until the final consummation, God continues to permit, allow other kingdoms to exist. God's kingdom hasn't ended, God is still on the throne, God is more powerful than all other kingdoms, but in the meantime, other kingdoms exist. The kingdom of darkness still exists. And if we're honest with ourselves, we all have our own kingdoms that we cling to and of which we are the ruler. The range of our own effective will, whatever we generally have say over is our own little kingdom. As broken humans, we still try to hold on to our own kingdoms as opposed to submitting body and soul to God's kingdom. Our own kingdoms are in resistance and opposition to God's plan and will for us, in opposition to God's rule, the kingdom of God. It doesn't say the kingdom of Becky. Even though I act like that, The kingdom of God. You see, when God created humans in Genesis, when we look back to Genesis one twenty-eight, God made us to rule and to reign and to have dominion over a limited sphere with God. We read that God says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. So no wonder we're confused but all that happened before the fall. The problem is that with the fall, this has become warped. The power and dominion given to us by God to be done with God in union with God has been completely abused and exploited and warped by sin. God's kingdom became our kingdoms. God's rule became our rule. So let's think back to the illustration I used earlier about the inauguration. The inauguration ceremony, again, every four years, um, commencement of the the highest office of our country, the president. Now the president has a certain amount of authority in the world, in 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 the United States. It's not like a monarchy, like the Queen of England. If you've watched The Crown, you know that she's a monarch and she literally has a kingdom in which she rules over. Um, but the president is the head of state given authority on certain matters. But with anything as humans, as we get our hands on any of these roles of authority that we're called to do, we mess them up. I don't care who is in any position of leadership. They're human and we warp and flaw leadership. authority is abuse and we can get mixed up in our idea of kingdom. Why do we get so focused on the kingdoms of this world when Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom of God? The kingdom in which we worship and submit ourselves to. Our own kingdoms are out of union with God. We are out of control. But God created us to be in union with him and to exercise exercise our rule only in union with him, remembering that God is the all-powerful creator, that God is the king. And with our distance from God, our mistrust of God and one another, we don't do this right and we mess it up. But God had a plan for that. God's intention is good and true. God put a plan in place for redemption and who is bringing it Who in Mark 1, 14 and 15 says, it's here. The time is fulfilled, that's Jesus Christ. And he invites us into redemption because he knew that we messed it up. So what's our response to God's kingdom at hand? How do we live under God's rule? How do we respond to this kingdom that has been ushered in by Christ, has been foretold by the prophets, is here now, but is still yet to come? What, how, huh? Jesus tells us exactly what to do. He is very clear in the next part of verse 15. What does he say, friends? Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. We're literally called to turn around from our sin. That is repentance, the Greek word metanoia, literally to change our heart and mind and turn towards God. We talk a lot about repentance in the church world, but it's a, it's a term very unfamiliar outside of church realms. And often we get confused about what repentance is and really it's very difficult to grasp and even more difficult to do. A few years ago during Lent, we did a whole series called The Big Turnaround. And the overriding illustration was the Texas U-turn turnaround. You're driving down 281. You find yourself going in the wrong direction. You missed your exit. Oops, exit, U-turn, back on track. It's the best invention. My husband hates it. He hates, why does Texas do this? It's the best thing. So we spent a whole Lenten series talking about the U-turn. Why? because when we truly repent, we turn around, go 180 degrees in the opposite direction. Not just shift, not just turn our faces, but keep going this way, but I'm looking at you God, but I'm gonna keep doing this, but literally turn around. You know, if repentance was as easy as just taking a Texas U turn, we would all do it all the time. The problem is that sin is really difficult. We're often more afraid of the consequences of our sin than actually the sin itself. If we never got caught, we'd sin all day long and nobody would care. If we never hurt anybody with our sin, what's the point? Why do we need to repent? We're fearful of the consequences of sin, but to truly repent means to not only hate the consequences of sin, but to hate the sin. To turn from the sin. We're called to repentance. Jesus is very clear here. Not just do a better job at hiding your sins or make sure your sins don't hurt other people, but to truly address the sin in our lives. When we repent, our hearts are changed. We're not just sorry for the damage done, but we're sorry for the sin. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can do this. This is so difficult as broken humans that have no power over sin, but we know who does have power over sin and that is Jesus Christ. And he sent the Spirit to walk with us, to guide us, to nurture us, to to convict us so that we just, we have to turn. So that we have to turn. Because of Christ's death on the cross, we have an opportunity to do this. We have the opportunity to repent because he died the death that we were supposed to die. He was the pure sacrifice for our sins so that we do not have to be bound to sin any longer we can go a different direction. So here, Jesus is calling for a decisive response from people. Not just a once a year sacrifice for all the sins, to burn the animal on the altar, but a personal confession. Not just to have the priest do it, or to have uh, somebody do it on our behalf, but for us to do it, to transform. And then he says, believe. Believe in the gospel, believe in Jesus Christ, believe that this kingdom of God is real and embrace it with faith. Believing in this sense is more than just accepting a truth to be true, but it's truly submitting to the authority of the king. Are we willing to be obedient to the king of this kingdom, living under his rule and kingship. Yes, there are still other kingdoms that are vying for our attention. We are distracted people. We like to do what feels good. We're obedient to the kingdoms of our jobs, our families, our titles, our success, our addictions, our abilities, or our money, even our church. But Jesus is calling us to cut loose from these other kingdoms and to submit to God's kingdom. Repent and believe. Some of you might know Autumn Dawn Galbraith. She and her family used to attend this service here at FBC. I don't know Autumn Dawn myself, personally. But this week, a few of us were sent an article that she wrote. She wrote it about Inauguration Day. And this article is entitled, Upside Down and Backwards, Reflection and Challenge on Inauguration Day. I invite you to read it. You can Google it. You can find it online. It's really, um, it's a really good article to read if you get a chance. But she makes this connection between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God in such an articulate way. So I'm going to read just a portion of what she writes. I quote, Jesus repeatedly refused to align himself with secular kingdoms to the disappointment of many. That's what they wanted, and Jesus refused. And she continues, we have mixed up the temporal, earthly kingdom of Caesar with the external heavenly kingdom of God, and we've allowed ourselves to become known for our alignments within the former more so than the latter. We can engage in the upside down and backwards life that is being a Christ follower on earth, living temporarily, remember, temporarily here as representatives of our Lord, while yearning for and awaiting our eternal and ultimate home. Which kingdom are we committed to? Which kingdom will we submit to? That is the life we're called to in the here and now. As we enjoy the promises of God now and as we wait for the promises of God to be fulfilled, we repent, we turn, we change, we grow and we give up the idols that we hold on to, the kingdoms that we cling to, believing in the gospel, submitting to the king, and no longer trusting in ourselves, but trusting in Christ alone. So friends, let's enjoy this kingdom that is at hand. The time is fulfilled we also get hope for the future. When we have loved ones who are about to die, when we know that they know who Jesus is, we are so ready for them to be free from the pain of this world because of the eternal hope that's promised to us by God. This is good news, this is the gospel. Do you believe this truth? No matter what, God's kingdom wins. God reigns. We're a people of the in-between. In-between is a really hard place to live because it's broken and it's painful and it's not yet fully redeemed. Repentance is so hard. It is so painful to look yourself in the mirror and to look at God and to say, I know that I continue to do this sin, but God change my heart and help me to turn towards you it feels like all we do is wait and wait and wait. But now, now we can enjoy the promise because of Christ's coming and his proclamation of this kingdom. Now we can enjoy it. But in the meantime, we must share this good news. Because imagine living in the meantime and not having the hope of eternity. Imagine living in the brokenness of the world, and that's all, that's the end of the story. The kingdom of darkness wins. So God uses us to share his love and grace with the world, to go out from here and to say, there is a better kingdom. There's a better kingdom to follow, to live under, to to serve. And it's full of hope, it's full of light, and it's promising life. If you have questions about what it means to repent and believe, if you have struggled with this your whole life and can't quite understand, come talk to one of us. If you feel like you're too far gone to take that U-turn and you just keep driving south, you're gonna hit the border eventually, you can because of God's grace for you. I wanna tell you all about God's grace through Jesus Christ. Come find one of us. It's free. It's offered to you. You're invited to be a part of this kingdom. It's at hand, the time is fulfilled. God is calling, turn towards him. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your love for us through Jesus Christ, that you had a plan for our redemption, that we messed it up and we cling to our own kingdoms or the kingdoms of this world rather than trusting in you but God, you sent your son to die for us so that we might have life, that we might have forgiveness, that we might be able to turn around and turn towards you. So Lord, we ask for your forgiveness and we confess that we cling so hard to our own kingdoms, thinking we have it better, we've done it right, that we know better, but God, we know that your truth is real, that your son is alive, And that as we live in the in between, you call us to love and share your hope with others. Give us strength when we're scared. Give us hope when we're in fear and help us to follow you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.